0: Thank you, Richard, for your visionary leadership.
1: Uh, could you talk about the role of energy
0: storage in the grid of the future?
1: Well, so uh, there's—I mean, there's no question that that uh, storage uh, plays a role, uh, a huge role in uh, uh, in um, dealing with intermittency and dealing with peak. Lots of uh, opportunities for storage. So this is. Um, Couple things to talk about here, uh, if it's okay. I mean, you know, the first thing related to this, the first question was um, the challenge we had with some of the storage people, people in the storage business. And they came to us and they said, you know, why can't you be like California and have uh, procurements for storage? And you can already know me well enough to know what my answer was, which is, well, how do we know storage is the right answer? And and uh, we already have a system which is financially in a, inefficient. And of course, the way that these mandates are funded is through charging customers more money. So w- why would we do it that way? We should We should try to figure out what's in the customer bill already and try to figure out how we can get more money out of what we're already spending. So that wasn't necessarily a great first conversation. But what it did lead to was the storage companies coming back and engaging with us and engaging with the utilities and engaging with uh, the sort of uh, the value distributed energy resources thing that uh, has a whole series of things in the value stack of, that uh, make up the components. And so the storage industry now uh, is trying to figure out how it can make things work in New York uh, given our policy, but it's an interesting challenge. It's an interesting challenge because um, the way that the projects, uh, the, the economics of the project come from a stream of, diff- a, a series of different revenue streams. Some that are come from the wholesale market and some that come from, as it were, retail stuff. So if you defer capital through a storage project, that money is coming from what's controlled through the state, the stuff that comes from the wholesale market is coming from a market that's controlled by the feds. But it's, the point is it's more, several different kind of revenue streams, and those revenue streams are challenging for traditional project finance. Uh, uh, and in addition, they have uh, some of the revenue streams are short term, uh, like capacity, And it's very difficult to attract debt uh, for a long-dated infrastructure project if you have short-term revenues. So the the challenge is how you get this to work with different revenue streams and ultimately the need to have some party that's going to enter into a long-term contract. So uh, in order to get the financing to support the project. And I know there are people that are in this room working on this exact question. And so you know we're going to we're going to we're getting there we will get there on 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 storage but it's it, it really is the belly of the beast of how you make these policies work when you go from a mandate to something that involves looking at the cost envelope of the bill and stitching together uh, the different revenue streams and what's the role of the utility since the utility can't own the asset but can get economic value and, and, and so the question is, can we get the utilities to enter into contracts for which they're going to get economic value that come from either deferred capital or from a reduction in capacity payments or other things and earn a share of savings, and that contract can be used to help finance the project. So it really, it really is a, an important test case of how REV can work as we, you know, go beyond the non-wires alternatives to some other, uh, you know, deployment of storage and, and scale. Jay, do you have thoughts on this? Thank you. One theme that
0: I think is pervasive through the issues you've discussed and all the actions that, under your leadership, have been taken, is really the issue of carbon reduction. And the fact is, if I were to characterize your role and the state's role and what it has done, I think brilliantly and effectively, it is really to get us on a path towards very substantially reducing carbon emissions in New York State and having New York State be a pioneer for carbon reduction. God knows we need that desperately. So my own thinking about this is the uh, the storage roadmap, for example, that has been issued under NYSERDA and the Department of Public Services leadership, the fact that you have the 50 by 30 um, mandate um, on renewables, And action after action that you've described, I think you've been too modest to really say this, but I just want to say that for me, the real primary message of everything that we're discussing about New York State's policies and the extraordinary work that Con Edison, National Grid, and others are doing is really the idea that we will in fact set the pace for how a state can reduce carbon dramatically. So that, for example, we're in a position through battery storage, and we're in discussions with um, with utilities and others um, on this. We're in a position to put massive amounts of battery storage at some of the large, at our plant, Ravenswood, which I'm chairman of, for example, a massive portion of the 1500 megawatts that we're proposing to put in by 2025. And so many other players are in a position to do their share of what's needed to be done. What I see happening, and you haven't talked about this, but I'm curious about how you think about it, is if we think about transportation, the massive portion of New York's carbon that's going to come from the inevitable migration of internal combustion engines to electric vehicles within, I would say, 10 years. I mean, in my mind, we're now seeing costs coming down at such a rapid pace and the ability to think about creative uh, charging solutions that, to me, the issues of, number one, transportation migration and the policies that New York State, I think, will inevitably put in to encourage that or to mandate um, that transformation over a period of time far into the future, let's say seven, eight years or into the future, where people will know that that's happening and can adapt to it and make plans in advance so that you're not hurting people and there's no social justice issue about that. Or the building transformations what the Public Service Commission, Department of Public Service are now doing with respect to how do we reduce carbon emissions from buildings and the massive things that are now being discussed, I think, that we're on a trajectory that really is the, where you, what you have said is, we are objective oriented. You're not going to specify to a player how to achieve the Mm -hmm. objective, but the state's going to mandate certain objectives and we will have an end result mandated. To me, the most important part of that and the most heartening part of that is really that all of these things that we have talked about really result in a massive amount of carbon reduction which will enable other states looking at this to say, the states are taking the leadership, states and city governments are taking the leadership, and we will result, we will in fact reduce our carbon dramatically far more than people anticipate. And that's just really the only supplement I wanted to add to what you said. Uh,
1: Well, thank you, Jay. So we have a lot more to do from a carbon standpoint, as you point out, because the electricity sector is, uh, is, uh, Minority of the emissions, you know. So uh, autos are a substantial portion, um, and and uh, the building stock. So, um, so we have a lot more to do. You know, we started with the power sector because we, uh, as I said before, we're not going to be able to really. I think, uh, take advantage of the storage potential in the batteries, but we also don't want people to charge all at the same time. You know, if we can't build the, an underlying uh, s- smart grid, it's going to be very difficult to uh, deploy large-scale uh, electric transportation. Same, some, same thing with we need to uh, get customers off of fuel oil, and we can't, you know, because we still use a lot of fuel oil, so we have to electrify heating. Uh, and so, again, you know, that also involves the ability to optimize uh, uh, that resource. Um, so uh, so that's, I think, the first thing I want to say. Um, the second thing that I want to say really is your point about states and what I said at the beginning of the energy transition has already happened, or is happening. Um, you know, the cost of distributed solutions going, are going down. The cost of renewables continue to go down. Uh, customer preferences are changing at the individual, community, and corporate level, um, whether it's for green, you know more control over their energy, for resilience, or uh, more renewables. Um, the cost of the traditional way uh, of... We've had benefits of reduction of generation costs from shale gas, but costs of distribution continue to go up. You're not getting a lot of digital in the way that we... Uh, transport and distribute electricity. we're not getting a lot of you know productivity benefits from uh, digital stuff when you're you know digging up streets and stuff like that. it's uh, so it's uh, so it means that load growth around the country is for utilities is flat or in some cases declining. So you have um, inequities, those customers that want to have a distributed solution, or doing that, leaving the cost of the system uh, spread over fewer and fewer customers. These are these are issues which are facing utilities in virtually every state. And so, you know, when you think about shale gas, shale gas, you're not going to put a coal power plant next to your factory, but you can put a CHP unit using natural gas next to your factory or next to your, you know, a set of new homes. So these, there are meaningful stresses on the system. And so the only question is sort of how long this transition is going to take, which is obviously critical in, in considering climate change, how much wasted you know, uh, stranded assets we're going to have. What's going to cost us all to do this? So that's why we're trying to, we, we, won't, uh, you know, we saw these long-term trends that's why we try to get ahead of them. Whether we're going to be right or not, I don't know. You know one of the approaches we're taking is a market-based approach, fundamentally, because um, we think we'll, we'll, if we can figure this out, it'll, we'll be able to get the economic development benefits uh, that can come from it. We also think, by the way, that when we talked about some of these ideas about value-added services, we don't know what value-added services are going to take place. But you know, states are in, in competition for talent and young people. You know, are you going to? You know, there's some theory, I guess. Are you really going to want to work at a state which doesn't have? an uh, I'm not talking about a green power sector necessarily, but an, but an, an interactive power sector that permits value-added services. So we don't know. It's very possible that those states that that uh, kind of just don't want to change whether they're eventually going to lose a war for talent. So. Uh, So it is a a very dynamic time, and that's why this whole state innovation question is really uh, something that I'm very grateful that people are interested in.